All right. Well, we have had a lot going on today, and it was such a blessing to hear of all the good things that God has done through Dell and Sue and um, this incredible ministry over the years. And it was an honor to be able to celebrate All Saints Day and to remember how God has worked in and through many of our own loved ones who have gone before us. The legacy of those who go before us and the necessity of partnership for the sake of the gospel it cannot be said how much that is important to each of us, how, how impactful that can be. Today, as we continue our study in Acts, I want us to think about legacy. I want us to think about the things that we do that impact one another. I want us to think about how we encourage each other in our faith. Now, this passage that we have today is Acts 16, 16 through 40, and there are some very obvious things that are going on here. There are some things that we tend to focus on, and that's great. It's necessary. There are some things that take the forefront. We'll see that as we read through. But our focus today will be those things that dwell in the background. See, these past few weeks we've been looking at Acts as an example of how to preach the gospel and be relevant in a post-Christian society. And some of these obvious things, like preaching the actual gospel and proclaiming salvation through Christ, of course those are going to take the forefront. And yet, I wonder if as we read through this, you can train your eyes and your minds to see what is happening in the background. Where is the encouragement? What is empowering Paul and Silas through this passage that we read? And what is giving them the strength to proclaim salvation. If you would, turn with me to Acts 16, verses 16 through 40, and keep your ears open. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. 
a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the, dungeon, the, in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said that you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens, so now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There, they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. So, what are the obvious things here? There they were, working miracles, driving out spirits, um, proclaiming the gospel. Those are the obvious. The obvious is that they were imprisoned. The obvious is that by a miracle of God, they were set free. The obvious is that the jailer and his entire family came to Christ. Those are the obvious facts. I think those are the facts that we focus on a lot when we read this passage. At least I certainly do for myself. But what about this? Do you notice that Paul and Silas were working together? 
We see that in a few other places, um, especially in the book of Acts. Like last week, when we looked at Acts chapters 3 and 4, we saw Peter and John were partnered together. Um, In Mark 6, 7, Jesus calls the 12 and sends them out in pairs. His spirit was within them, and he still sent them out in pairs. In Luke 10, we see that Jesus sent 72 out in pairs. It's not unusual that people are going out into ministry together. We're empowered to spread the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit. And throughout these last few weeks, we've been looking at how the church in Acts demonstrates just that. And the Holy Spirit is a really key player here. The Spirit shows up in every conversation because it's through God's Spirit that we're able to be partners in the work of the kingdom. And yet, in every conversation, there's been something else. And that is the partnership and the encouragement of the fellow believers. We're just not meant to do this alone. And it kind of underlies every passage so that simultaneously it can be easy to overlook it. And yet, since it's so ingrained, it's almost impossible not to see it. So look at our passage for today. Paul and Silas get into a spot of trouble, and they're imprisoned together. That's one of those key observations we were talking about. But then our attention is drawn to something that should seem a bit out of place. They sang together and prayed together. They were the only two that were doing that. The other prisoners listened while they sang and prayed. It was the middle of the night. I remember, now finals week is different, but I remember more than one finals week when my roommates, two of my roommates in particular, really, really enjoyed singing praise, and that is such a glorious thing except during finals week in the middle of the night. And I just remember trying so hard not to be irritated, like really trying to be joyful and yet really wanting it just to stop. So it strikes me as odd that it's midnight in this passage, and here are Paul and Silas singing and praying loud enough for everyone to hear, nobody tells them to stop. They just listen. So when I think about this particular passage, I'm reminded of a coloring sheet that I used to hand out to some of my kids um, from a Bible coloring book. And this coloring sheet depicted Paul and Silas with their feet in the stocks, and they had these great big smiles on their faces, and there were little music notes all around the picture, and there was a little mouse in the corner. And the mouse had a great big smile on his face, and there were little music notes going around the mouse. It was really adorable. And it makes you think, wow, everything is awesome with this, pic- with this passage. 
And I, I think I want to keep that picture in my heart, but I don't think that's what was really happening here. First of all, I don't think the mouse was there singing. But second of all, I don't see them as partying it up like this picture de- depicts. I think I see them as crying out to God in prayer and in song. So perhaps they were singing praises. I don't doubt that. But I think that it's more that they were trying to keep their minds focused on God in a very difficult situation. I think there's a lot to be said about how the Spirit makes us joyful in all situations. I think that the Spirit was calming them. But I don't think that they were singing rousing, bouncy, jumpy camp songs like I sometimes get the image in my head. Here's the reality. They were in a high-security inner cell, and it was the middle of the night, and they were still awake. Why? Their feet were in stocks. Their feet were in these locks that were so tight, they probably couldn't move. And if they could, it wasn't easy. And their cell was the inner cell, very, very high security and very, very uncomfortable. They were either sitting up or laying on a hard concrete floor for the entire time that they'd been there. They had been severely beaten. They had been flogged with wooden sticks. I promise you they were in pain. It didn't feel good. And the only comfort that they had for those wounds was a cold, dirty, concrete floor to lay against, and they couldn't move. They couldn't change position. Their feet were stuck. They were awake at midnight because they were probably in way too much pain to get any rest. And the prisoners around them were awake at midnight, not because of their singing and praying, but because they were very likely in similar positions. And yet, Paul and Silas sang. They sang hymns. They called out to God in their song. Hymns were traditionally meant to praise God, but they also depict pain and reality and anguish. And they prayed to God through their pain and reality and anguish. And sure, they praised him, but I think they were singing, not because they were thinking, this is awesome, we we finally got persecuted for Christ. That's a big part of it. But I think they were singing to encourage each other, to remind each other that God was there. They were singing and calling out to God together. It was strength in numbers. Well, singing about God's faithfulness, one reminded the other of the hope they have in Christ, and back and forth. 
They brought each other the comfort of Christ. And they, through that comfort, were able to comfort the other prisoners. Or at least give the other prisoners something to think about. Did you see that the first time you read this passage? That's one of those less obvious things that's happening. We all see that Paul and Silas sang hymns and prayed. We don't necessarily see why they were doing it. It's partnership in ministry. It brought solidarity in some of the very toughest times, and through that partnership, a whole bunch of people took notice. All of the other prisoners took notice to the point where it was Paul and Silas's example that they looked to. They all could have escaped, but they looked to the example set by Paul and Silas because Paul and Silas had shown this leadership through this hard, hard thing. They had shown the comfort. They were relying on each other. And then the other prisoners realized that and said, if they're not leaving, well, we should stay too. Now, obviously, there's a ton of other stuff happening in this passage, and we could spend hours and never scratch the surface. But just for grins, we're going to skip past most of that. And uh, again, we're not going to look at those obvious things. We're going to skip past the mass conversion of the jailer's family. And we're going to take a deeper look at Paul and Silas and their punishment. It was really harsh for their crime. Why? Why? especially once it became known that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. The problem all started with Paul and Silas having to rid a slave girl of the evil spirits that enabled her to tell the future. They lost her owners a huge deal of income, but their official complaint was that these Jews are advocating customs that are unlawful for Roman citizens, for us Roman citizens, to accept or practice. So their accusers told a partial truth, and they tried to play the us versus them card. Us Romans, those Jews, we are in the right, they are in the wrong, and yet the charges weren't sufficient, and the fact that Paul and Silas were both Romans made the situation borderline embarrassing for the officials. Now, these are all kind of big details that we see. We're seeing the big details of how they got punished, the big details of what went wrong and why they got punished, But here's where those smaller details come into play and make a big difference again. The Romans were embarrassed, and they wanted to get Paul and Silas out, and they wanted to do it quietly. That's a small detail. They wanted to do this in secret. But Paul and Silas said, no, no way. That's not how this is going to work. 
Paul and Silas said, you humiliated us, you publicly beat us, you publicly accused us, and now you want us to let, be let go in secret and in silence. It's not going to happen. Why didn't they just take it? They could have, they should have, but for all intents and purposes, it wasn't really a wise decision to stand up to your accusers and jailers and tell them no when you're being given freedom. They should have just taken that freedom and gone on their merry way. But here's the small detail. They stayed and they said, no, we want a public apology. It wasn't for themselves. Think about this. The whole public saw them being made an example of. The entire community saw that these Jews, especially these Christians, were, not, were second-class citizens. They did not have the same rights if this example is anything to go by. So for Paul and Silas to go silently, it sets a precedent that you can accuse this group of people for anything you want and they will be punished. That's the precedent it sets. Paul and Silas take a stand and they say, no, we want a public release and a public apology because that also sets a precedence. That says you cannot harm our brothers and sisters in this same way. You cannot just take advantage of them. By proving that you made a mistake, by you humbling yourselves and publicly acknowledging that we are going free and publicly apologizing to us, you are making the path easier for our brothers and sisters in Christ who will come after us and face the same persecutions. We don't want them to have to suffer the things that we suffered last night. That's the little detail that gets overlooked. They set a huge example for their brothers and sisters in Christ. It wasn't just, we're thinking for ourselves, we're doing everything for our own good. It was, we encouraged each other in prison, we went out and ministered in pairs, and now, when we could go free and escape any further punishment, we're going to instead stick around, risk our lives on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Something's strange with this group of people because they're constantly sticking up for each other. They're constantly working together. They work in ministry together. They sing and encourage each other in prison. And now at the risk of their own lives, they say, we're going to keep to it and live for this community that Christ has given us. There's nothing selfish about this. There's only the good of God's people. And then we move forward. At the very end of this passage, Luke says that they went back to Lydia and they encouraged the other believers. And that's how this section ends. 
they encouraged the other believers. We have to think about this. Now, Lydia was hosting this, this group of people. Lydia was opening her home up to Paul and Silas. In fact, when she became a Christian, she really wouldn't take no for an answer. She, she was adamant. She said, if you even believe that I've accepted Christ, then you will honor me by staying in my home. That's how important this was to her. I want to be a hostess. I want to partner with you in this way. This isn't the first time. Before this point, just in Acts alone, there are seven places where people have hosted the missionaries. And after this point, there are another seven places where people have hosted the missionaries. And it is a great joy and a great honor. They aren't the ones who are going out and preaching to the masses, but they are doing everything they can to share their homes with these missionaries. And in return, Paul and Silas make it a very important point to go back to them and encourage them before they leave. And again, I wonder how wise this was because the officials told them, yeah, just get out of the city. Just be gone. They should be in a hurry. And they really are, and yet they stop and they say, let's gather together and encourage each other. And that is how this passage ends. And that can't be insignificant. That it is so important that we tell you our story and that we tell you God is good. That we are going to take time out of our, well, not just busy schedule, but life-changing moment, and we are going to tell you, keep having faith. We're going to tell you God is good. We're going to tell you, you can do it. That's, that's what they did. When you're at your busiest, do you think to yourself, I need to go and encourage someone right now? Throughout all of these big, important things that were happening in this passage, whether it be proclaiming the, the death and resurrection of Christ, whether it be leading people to Christ, whether it be being beaten and being imprisoned, the entire passage is underlain with encouragement and love for each other. And I think that's really important for a day like today, a day when we remember the legacy of a beautiful ministry, and the day when we remember the legacy of the saints who have gone before us. It's really important to reflect on the encouragement that we've received along our journeys. It's important to reflect on the encouragement and the legacy that these believers had as they bound together in a tight community. We're about to come to a close, but you know me, I really like interaction. Today, before we 
before we end, let's turn to each other, and here's what I want you to say. Give the name of one person who made an impact on your faith. Somehow through their legacy, they have encouraged you in your own journey. But don't end there. I want you to think of how or who you can be called to encourage others this week. Let's take two minutes, and then we'll close in prayer. So just turn to one or two people around you, not a huge group, because we won't finish in that time. So here is our challenge this week. Remember those who have made an impact in your life. Remember their legacy. But think about your own legacy. Think about what God is doing in and through you right now and those people who are around you. Think about that and encourage them as they journey through this, through their own walks. Let's take a moment and pray, and then I'll ask the ushers to come forward. Dear God, thank you so much for your amazing works that you do through us. Thank you for not letting us do this alone, for raising up parents, brothers, sisters, friends, loved ones who teach us, who listen to us, who show us, who go out of their way to encourage us. God, thank you for the community of believers that you have raised up. Help us to use that to go into the world and continue proclaiming your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.